0: Today on Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton.
1: and God builds this temple because He desires to have fellowship with us, right? I mean, understand here, it's not that the people said we should be a, build a temple and see if God shows up. You know, God builds this thing. He's the initiator. He desires fellowship. He desires a relationship with us. He's the one who pursues that relationship with us. This is why Jesus came to the earth. This is the reason for the Incarnation.
0: Does your heart long to be in fellowship with your Savior, invited in? Jesus initiates this, not you. He came to save us from our sin to make this happen. Continuing in Ezekiel, Pastor Dan speaks today about God's temple and this invitation to dwell in relationship with Jesus. Know that there is always a price to pay when you decide to sin. You will always lose something feeling shame and guilt. But you will learn in Ezekiel of the great preparation of the altar of God. Have hope. There's the cross. Now here's Pastor Dan in the book of Ezekiel chapter 42 for today's edition of Ring of Truth.
1: kingdom age, the land around Jerusalem will become a vast plain and Jerusalem will be raised up high as a high mountain and on that high mountain will be the temple that will be one square mile in in size. If you remember back in chapter 40, uh, Ezekiel, when he first saw the temple in this vision, he described it as something like a city. And he saw it, it was like a city, it's so large. It's one square mile. Now, that brings us now to chapter 43. And in chapter 43, the glory of the Lord returns to the temple. Back in chapters 8 to 11, uh, the glory of the Lord departed from the temple because of the sin and immorality and idolatry of the people of Jerusalem God departed. He left. God is a holy God, and He will not dwell with unholiness. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul asks, What fellowship can righteousness and wickedness have together? And what do light and darkness have in common? And the answer, of course, is nothing at all. Light and darkness cannot dwell together in the same place. Righteousness and wickedness cannot have fellowship together. And because of the wickedness of the people... God left, he left the temple and he departed. And it's described for us in earlier chapters, chapters eight to 11. And we see him leave through the Eastern gate back in chapter 11, verse 23. And now in this kingdom temple, God's glory returns through the Eastern gate. He comes back the way that he left. So verse 1 of chapter 43. Afterward, he brought me to the gate, the gate that faces toward the east. And behold, the glory of the God of Israel came from the way of the east. His voice was like the sound of many waters. The voice of God is described the same way in Revelation. And the earth shone with his Glory. Remember, Jesus said when he comes back a second time, it will be like lightning flashing from east to west, and all of the earth will see the glory of God. Every eye will see the coming of the Lord. And here we're told as Ezekiel sees the glory of God coming back into, returning to the temple, the earth shone with his glory. Verse 3. It was like the appearance of the vision which I saw, like the vision which I saw when I came to destroy the city. The vision, the visions were like the vision which I saw by the river Chebar, and I fell on my face. You may remember in the early chapters of Ezekiel, chapter 1 where you had that weird vision of the glory of God, and the wheel within the wheel, and the chariot wheels, and... And all of that is is the glory of God and he sees the glory of God in the same way now coming back and he falls on his face as he sees the glory of God. And the glory of the Lord, verse 4, came into the temple by way of the gate which faces toward the east, the eastern gate. It's brick shut, there's a cemetery in front of the gate And the reason it's bricked shut is in the 1500s, Suleiman the Magnificent of the Ottoman Empire, a Muslim, he bricked it shut. And he put the cemetery in front of the gate because of Ezekiel 43. In response to this prophecy in Ezekiel 43 that says, the glory of the Lord will come into the temple by way of the gate which faces toward the east, Suleiman, the Magnificent, a Muslim, he bricks the gate shut. He puts a cemetery in front of the gate because he believed that would prevent the Jewish Messiah from entering in through the eastern gate of the temple because he believed a Jewish person will not defile himself by walking through a cemetery and would not be able to bust through that brick wall. Like a brick wall is going to stop Jesus, right? I mean, you think about how you know he comes in glory. Every eye will see him and all of his glory and all of his majesty, riding out of heaven on a horse, robe dipped in blood. He's going to stand on the Mount of Olives. Zacharias says it's going to split in two. There's going to be an earthquake. And he's going to get to that gate, you know. And man, bricks. Everything's just going to come to a screeching halt, you know. Consummation of all of human history is going to get stopped by that wall. <laughs> but it is interesting to consider the fact that a political leader made policies to try to prevent the fulfillment of biblical prophecy, even though he didn't believe in it. Even though publicly he might say it, it's not true, it's superstition. But he's making policies against it. Now, without realizing it, Suleiman the Magnificent actually fulfilled prophecy by shutting the eastern gate. Turn over to chapter 44. Look at verse 1. Then he brought me back to the outer gate of the sanctuary which faces toward the east, but it was shut. And the Lord, notice that's Yahweh, said to me, this gate shall be shut. It shall not be opened, and no man shall enter by it, because the Lord God, notice the Lord's all capital, Yahweh God of Israel has entered by it. Therefore, it shall be shut. So here it says, the eastern gate shall be kept shut. Why? Because the Lord God, Yahweh God, has entered through That gate. Now, when did the Lord God enter through the eastern gate? Triumphal entry of Jesus Christ. He entered through the eastern gate on his way into Jerusalem to die on the cross for the sins of the world. So without even realizing it, Suleiman the Magnificent actually fulfilled this prophecy by shutting that gate and bricking it shut. So, going back to chapter 43... He sees the glory of the Lord return back to the temple through the eastern gate. Verse 5, The Spirit lifted me up and brought me into the inner court, and behold, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The glory of the Lord fills this kingdom-age millennial temple just as the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle of Moses back in Exodus chapter 34 and filled Solomon's temple in First Kings chapter 6. But the glory of the Lord didn't fill the second temple, Zerubbabel's temple, or later Herod the Great, so you would never read about that, of the glory of the Lord filling that temple, why not? Because Jesus himself went to that temple. In fact, Hag- Haggai chapter 2 verse 9 says the glory of the latter temple will be greater than the former temple, because God's glory doesn't fill that temple the way it does here, Jesus himself, God incarnate, enters that temple. So the glory of that temple was greater. But again, the tabernacle, the glory of God filled the temple, filled the tabernacle. Solomon's temple, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. How about the church? Know ye not that you are the temple of the living God? The church, together, we are the temple of the living God. Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit's poured out on the church. And the presence of God fills the church and has continued to fill the church throughout church history. And now you come to this kingdom age temple, this millennial temple, and the glory of the Lord fills this temple, which indicates that God you know, approves. This is like God's stamp of approval on this temple. Verse 6 says, Then I heard Him speaking, "...to me from the temple, while a man stood beside me, and he said to me," verse 7, "...son of man, this is the place of my throne, and the place of the soles of my feet, where I will dwell in the midst of the children of Israel forever. No more shall the house of Israel defile my holy name, they nor their kings by their harlotry, or with the carcasses of their kings on their high places." He says God says here this is where my throne will be in this temple this is where Jesus will place his throne when Jesus returns to the earth and establishes his kingdom on the earth his throne will be in the temple Jesus spoke of sitting on his throne and judging when he returns to the earth Matthew chapter 25 verse 31 Jesus said, but when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit upon His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in His presence and He will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. This is His throne that He's describing here. And it's in the temple. And I want you to note here that again, In verse 7, he says, Where I will dwell in the midst of the children of Israel forever. This is the purpose of the temple in the kingdom age. This is the purpose of all the previous, you know, Solomon's temple, Zerubbabel's temple, the tabernacle. The purpose of the temple is to be a dwelling place of God. So God can dwell in the midst of his people. Otherwise, it's just a big building. And it's just, if God's not there, it's just an empty building. We have two meeting times on Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. You can find out more and get directions at our website, calvaryec.com. That's calvaryec.com. Now let's get back to today's message on Ring of Truth. You know, this building, for example, uh, years ago, like almost 30 years ago, it was just office space. There were cubicles in this room. And then it was converted into a church. And used for the church to gather. When we're here in this place, it's a church. If you come back tonight at 11 o'clock, it's just a building. right? And with the temple, the temple is the dwelling place of God. It, otherwise, it's just, a, it's just a building. And God builds this temple because he desires to have fellowship with us. Right? I mean, understand here, it's not that the people said we should be a t- build a temple and see if God shows up. You know, God builds this thing. He's the initiator. He desires fellowship. He desires a relationship with us. He's the one who pursues that relationship with us. This is why Jesus came to the earth. This is the reason for the incarnation of God, because he wanted fellowship with us. He wanted a relationship with us. This is why Jesus died on the cross. For our sins so that he could reconcile us back to God. Because our sins separated us from God. He died to reconcile us so we could have fellowship with him. So we can dwell with God and God can dwell with us. And he can be our God and we can be his people. So now look down at verse 10. Look what he says here. Son of man, describe the temple to the house of Israel. Remember, the house of Israel is in captivity in Babylon because of their sin, because they've turned their back on God. Because they brought idols into his temple and began to trust in those idols. And so he says, son of man, describe this temple to the house of Israel that they may be ashamed of their iniquities and let them measure the pattern." And if they are ashamed of all that they have done, make known to them the design of the temple and its arrangement. It exists, its exits and its entrances, its entire design and all its ordinances, all its form and all its laws. Write it down in their sight so that they may keep its whole design and all its ordinances and perform them. This is the law of the temple. The whole area surrounding the mountaintop is most holy. Behold, This is the law of the temple. He tells Ezekiel, God tells Ezekiel to describe the temple now to the house of Israel so that they may be ashamed of their iniquity. God wants Israel to understand what they forfeited by their sin. They have forfeited God's presence with them by their sin. We, listen, we always forfeit something when we sin. We always forfeit something. Sin always has a cost attached to it. It may be, uh, it definitely will be fellowship with God, communion with God, closeness with God, because our sin separates us from God. But we may forfeit other relationships. We may forfeit our family. You may forfeit your health. You may forfeit your career. There could be a lot of things that you can forfeit by your sin. We lose things. We lose out. And here what God says is, I want them to see what they have forfeited by turning their back on me. I want them to see what they have forfeited that they could have with me by their iniquity. And this forfeiture should produce shame. So they'll be ashamed, he says. And that shame should lead to repentance. Same is true with us. You know, when when we sin, there's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. There's the shame, the guilt. And that shame and guilt hopefully produces repentance in us where we turn from our sin and we turn back to God and we ask His forgiveness and we ask His cleansing. But I want you to note here, and we're almost finished, but note here, right after speaking about Israel's iniquity and their shame for their iniquity, in verse 12, God describes his altar. God describes his altar, beginning in verse 12. The altar of God is the cure for our shame over our iniquity. What's the altar for us? It's the cross. It's the cross. We we take all of our shame and all of our guilt to the cross and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us of all of our sin and all of the shame and all of the guilt and all of the burden that goes along with it. And so he begins now to describe the altar. After describing their sin and their shame, now he describes this altar where they can find cleansing. Verse 12, this is the law of the temple. The whole area surrounding the mountaintop is most holy. Behold, this is the law of the temple. These are the measurements of the altar and cubits. The cubit is one cubit and a hand breadth, or what was known as a long cubit. The base, one cubit high, one cubit wide, with a rim all around its edge of one span. This is the height of the altar From the base on the ground to the lower edge, two cubits. The width of the ledge, one cubit. From the smaller ledge to the larger ledge, four cubits. And the width of the ledge, one cubit. The altar hearth is four cubits high with four horns extending upward from the hearth. The altar hearth is 12 cubits long, 12 cubits wide, square at its four corners. Verse 17, the ledge, 14 cubits long and 14 wide on its four sides with a rim of a half a cubit around it, its base one cubit all around and its steps face toward the east. Now beginning in verse 18, he describes the consecrating of the altar and the sacrifices that would be made to consecrate the altar. And he said, verse 18, Son of man, thus says the Lord God, these are the ordinances for the altar on the day when it is made for sacrificing burnt offerings on it, which speaks of total consecration, not holding anything back from God. For sprinkling blood on it, you shall give a young bull for a sin offering to the priests, the Levites, who are of the seed of Zadok, who approach me to minister to me, says the Lord God. You shall take some of its blood and put it on the four horns of the altar. On the four corners of the ledge and on the rim around it, thus you shall cleanse it and make atonement for it. Then you shall also take the bull of the sin offering and burn it in the appointed place of the temple outside the sanctuary. Jesus was crucified outside the city as our sin offering. On the second day, you shall offer a kid of the goats without blemish for a sin offering, and they shall cleanse the altar as they cleansed it with the bull. When you have finished cleansing it, you shall offer a young bull without blemish and a ram from the flock without blemish. Jesus was without spot or blemish. He was sinless. When you offer them before the Lord, the priest shall throw salt on them and they will offer them as a burnt offering to the Lord. Every day for seven days, you shall prepare a goat for a sin offering. They shall also prepare a young bull and a ram for the flock, both without blemish. Seven days they shall make atonement for the altar and purify it and so consecrate it. This is just to get the altar ready for use, all of this. And when these days are over, it shall be on the eighth day thereafter that the priest shall offer your burnt offerings and your peace offerings on the altar. Notice, and I will accept you. Says the Lord God. He talks to them about their guilt, their shame because of their iniquity, you know, everything they forfeited because of their iniquity, and then he talks to them about the altar, how to consecrate an altar where you can come now and make a sin offering and a burnt offering and a peace offering. You know, the sin offering for the sin, the burnt offering which speaks of total consecration. To the Lord, the peace offering, which speaks of peace with God. We have peace with God through the blood of Jesus Christ. So that God says, I will accept you. Once the sacrifices are made on the altar, the people are accepted by God. All of our sins were paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. And the Bible says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all of our unrighteousness it's through the blood of jesus christ that we are accepted by the father and we can come and we can make our bring our sin and our shame and our guilt and all of it and the blood of jesus christ removes it all and we're accepted by the father he asked me how i know and i say bring sure the
0: You've been listening to Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan as he teaches verse-by-verse through the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel was a prophet of God, and though he was faced with the difficult job of speaking hard truths, he also spoke of great hope. Even though the Israelites were constantly disobeying God, God was still faithful to them and offered a way of restoration. This is what Ezekiel so boldly proclaimed, and this is what God also offers to you. If you'd like to learn more about Ring of Truth, we encourage you to visit our website at calvaryec.com. You'll also find information about the church behind this ministry, Calvary Chapel, Ellicott City. We have a heart for spreading the gospel message to all we come in contact with, and all are welcome to come and worship with us at our location in Columbia, Maryland. If you're ever in the area on a Sunday morning, we'd love for you to join us for a time of worship and Bible study. We'll study God's Word together and strengthen each other through prayer and fellowship. Come by and meet Pastor Dan and all of us here at Calvary Chapel, Ellicott City. For service times and location information, visit calvaryec.com or give us a call at 410-491-4592. Once again, that number is 410 410- That's all we have time for today but be sure to join Pastor Dan as he shares more from the book of Ezekiel on the next edition of Ring of Truth I see the
1: signs and I recognize